all of a sudden the U.S. is being supremely challenged by China. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, is how far is that challenge going to go? If you open the door, right, to the Third World War, mm. you are entering hell. Welcome to The Jay Martin Show. My name is Jay. My guest today is Jonathan Roth, the world-renowned journalist and founder of Resource Wars, who will be joining me for the second time in one month as we try to make sense of the rising tensions and global conflicts. Now, World War II was a war that stretched from Japan to the United Kingdom, from the Middle East to the Arctic. It was one single integrated chaos. And we are now in a situation where that chaos is repeating itself, where the entire mass of Europe and Asia taken together, Eurasia is destabilizing. So on November 30th, I'll be hosting an exclusive live online video event called Crisis and Chaos, The Changing World Order. And I'll be joined by some of the world's top military experts, geopolitical analysts and economic advisors. They'll be answering my questions and yours about the cascade of global crises we're looking at today. This event is for anyone trying to make sense of our crazy world. Find out what could be next and how you can prepare your mind, your money, and your family. If you want to attend this exclusive event, hit the link beneath this piece of content. But first, here is my long form interview with John Roth. You're not gonna wanna miss this. John. Jay. Good to see you, man. Good to see you too. All right, have a seat. I'm excited to chat with you today. I am looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, it might be some heavy material, but mm -hmm. uh, it's really important material. And right now, if you look on Twitter, uh, mainstream media headlines, there's a lot of people asking this question. You know, are we headed towards World War III? And I don't think there's a binary answer to this question, yes, no, maybe we're there already, maybe it's not going to happen, whatever. What I was hoping you and I could do today is just frame the most important global events that you're paying attention to. I mean, this is what you do, you're in this. And so I wanna shed some light on conflicts scattered throughout the globe. What's of significance? What is just a regional battle and maybe is not? And the trajectory of these things, because whenever these events occur, we tend to look at them as like, you know, this, this conflict occurred and is happening right now, but these are always part of trajectories, always part of trends. And there's some really big trends occurring right now. So um, that's what I wanted to discuss with you today. How's that sound? Sounds great. Okay, so starting with global flashpoints, right? Everyone's focused on Russia, Ukraine. Everybody's focused on Israel, Palestine, because they're very important conflicts. Um, what other conflicts globally right now are catching your attention that maybe the mainstream media and the public therefore is not? Uh, I mean, look, there's a lot of issues going on all over the place. I think one of the issues that uh, it is getting some attention, but it should probably receive a lot more is the situation in the South China Sea, mm -hmm. which has been brewing for years, right? Mm -hmm. So if we date back uh, into Barack Obama's term as president, Xi Jinping, the, the president of China, made a deal and promised, promised uh, uh, Obama, that he would not militarize these artificial islands that he was building throughout the South China Sea. Right. Right, which are essentially stationary aircraft carriers for mm. the People's Liberation Army, the PLA. So he went ahead and built all these things, promised Obama he would not militarize them, and then guess what he did? He militarized Of course. Them, right? Yeah. Right away. Yeah. And uh, the initial public reaction of the Pentagon was, this isn't a problem, 
because these things are stationary aircraft carriers. We can take them out at any time we want. However, the, the, the big overriding problem is, is, is that the South China Sea is a huge transit point for trade, right? Yeah. In terms of trade, all the trade that goes to China, South Korea, Japan. This mm. is enormous, like, you know, whatever that is, like three of the top five economies in the world. Mm. Their trade transits through that area. Not to mention there are huge natural gas deposits in the South China Sea. Yes. Massive, yeah. right? So there are other countries that ring the South China Sea that do not like what China's done because China just basically walked in and said, this is our, you know, this is our bathtub here. We're going to take care of it and nobody else can interfere in this. Hmm. So the Philippines is one that has a major problem because they have fishing rights and there's the territorial, you know, 200, 250 kilometers, 300 kilometers out from, uh, from your territory in terms of your economic zone, yeah. right? So what's been happening is you have Chinese ships, they have these huge fishing fleets that move in all throughout, they, they actually operate all over, all over the world, but in the South China Sea, it's particularly cute. They move into the Philippine waters and Filipino fishermen are not obviously happy about this. And there's been strife going back and forth, dating for years, right, decades actually. But it's really reached a point. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an incident where a, a Chinese Coast Guard ship rammed a Filipino fishing vessel. Right. This made headlines all over the place. Yeah. But these sorts of things have been going on for quite a long time. Mm. And sooner or later, um, my guess is that something's going to spin out of control. Because the issue is, is that it's not just the Philippines that has an issue with what China's doing there. Vietnam has problems. Thailand has issues. Mm -hmm. All of these countries that ring the South China Sea have problems with this. So the other part of it is, is that the Philippines used to be a treaty ally of the United States, and then they had, they had a, uh, a leader that came along, uh, the one that decided to kill all the drug dealers and drug addicts, if you remember him. Okay. Uh, so he <laughs> decided to play the United States off of China and seemed to be drawing closer to China. A lot of the, the U.S. military bases closed. Uh, they knew have, now have new leadership in Manila, and that's brought in new leaders that have decided, look, uh, between China or the United States, we're choosing the U.S. And now there's a, a, a formerly closed U.S. naval base that was in the Philippines that's reopened, mm -hmm. and the, China, or the Americans are obviously stationing troops there. So this is going to become more and more of a flashpoint. You obviously, mm -hmm. the U.S. continually runs ships through that area, runs aircraft carriers through that area, and runs aircraft through that area, which the Chinese do not like, and tell them all the time, you need to stop doing this. Mm -hmm. But um, this is going to keep on going, and sooner or later, something is either going to go sideways, right, or um, China's going to decide on purpose that they want to start precipitate something there. So we'll see what happens, but um, just to kind of give you an idea of how precarious the situation could become, here about three weeks ago, it finally became public that there was a, um, in the Yellow Sea, which is uh, the sea that, that basically is between you have, you have China and you have uh, South Korea and North Korea. It's the sea area in there. So there are actually uh, submarine cables netting that's been put up by the Chinese. And unfortunately for the Chinese, a Chinese nuclear submarine ran into these cables, became disabled, and killed all the crew. Mm. And this happened a few mm. months ago. I had actually, I'd put it on my, my Twitter account because there were rumors all over that this had happened. It was being denied by everyone. Okay. Uh, the speculation was that it was somewhere between Taiwan and the mainland China. As it turned out, it was in the Yellow Sea. Okay. But, um, so basically, they had this huge incident. A nuclear submarine is disabled, kills all the crew, the captain's dead. And uh, now think about a situation like that happening 
in the South China Sea, where some they have submarine, they do have submarine netting and cables and such there, and somebody's submarine or vessel, something goes wrong. Yeah. And all of yeah. a sudden, somebody needs to be blamed, right? Yeah. You could definitely see how this could spiral out of control. So the South China Sea is definitely an area that is, uh, it's been hot for a while, and it's likely to become only hotter as we move forward. Right. Well, it's so, getting busier. And a lot of these conflicts, they begin that way with somewhat of an accidental right, incident, right? Um, and things spiral from there. Now, Biden came out recently and said the U.S. would stand by the Philippines or defend the Philippines. And, you know, in, in that scenario, very quickly, the United States would find themselves supporting a war on three fronts. So what's their actual ability to be impactful defending the Philippines from some kind of a... Uh, and, and what would China do, I guess? What would they be defending the Philippines from? Maybe let's frame that. Mm -hmm. Well, so here's the, here's the thing is if you're China, do you really want to invade these countries, right? You're not interested in invading these countries. Mm. Frankly, you don't really have the capability to do that. Okay. And if you look historically, China wants to win this huge global, you know, cold war that's been going on now. Yep. They want to win this without fighting. That's their goal, Sure. right? They, they don't want a destroyed world the way it was in 1945 at the end of World War II. Yeah. They want, you know, the way it is, only, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're basically pledging allegiance to Beijing instead of Washington, D.C. Sure. That, that's how they want to see it. Yeah. So I don't see a situation where they invade uh, the Philippines, per mm -hmm. se. Mm -hmm. I more see a situation where things start to spiral and one thing goes wrong and then we start moving up the escalation ladder. Or you get some, mm -hmm. I, I, I'll be honest, in the, in the South China Sea, I don't see any room for terrorist actions or anything that could bring problems okay. the way that we've seen in Israel, right? But you have this non-state, you know, whatever you want to call it, Hamas actor that decides to do this heinous crime mm -hmm. that all of a sudden ends up in this, you know, huge conflict that mm -hmm. could potentially draw in all the regional powers, right? That we're sitting on the precipice of yep. today, yep. right? So I, I don't see that happening the same way in the South China Sea. I see it more that China says to the U.S., we don't want you here. Get your aircraft carriers out of here mm -hmm. and, you know, you're gone. That's, they want to control that area for their own trade purposes. Um, and frankly, because in the event, let's just say that we end up in a huge, let's say we end up in some sort of huge conflict, right? Where actually the U.S., China and Russia have actually declared war. A hot war. A hot war, a yeah. true hot war. The problem that China has, especially if you take a look at the South China Sea, is, is that because all of their trade flows through that area, they can easily be cut off. So there's the first island chain, which sure. I don't know if you're familiar with, and then there's the second island chain. So the first island chain, if you actually take a look at a map of China and then take a look at all the, the, you know, the islands that ring around China, you'll see that geographically they're actually hemmed in. So they're hemmed in by Japan up mm -hmm. in the north, goes down to Taiwan, then it goes to the Philippines, over to, to uh, uh, Indonesia, and then Malaysia. Mm -hmm. And all of their trade runs through this area, and they can't break out the same way. This is, this is one of the reasons why the U.S. is such an amazing superpower, mm -hmm. is, is that geographically, mm -hmm. they have no one standing in the way. They have clear access to the Pacific and to the Atlantic, which no other country has this sort of advantage that the U.S. has geographically. Mm. So China does not have that, and that's why they're pushing so hard to try to break Taiwan. Because mm. if they can get a hold of Taiwan, all of a sudden it gives them access now to the second island chain, which is Guam and Saipan, some of these smaller islands that ring around, but that the U.S. have major military bases and, and uh, uh, aircraft or uh, air force bases and such 
there with you know, mm -hmm. strategic bombers and B-1s and B-52s stationed there. Right. So China's trying to break out of this because they don't like the idea that in the event of a hot war, the U.S. just blockades this area. You know, all their allies have ringed this thing and they just turn off the taps because China is so heavily dependent on, primarily they're dependent on oil, right? That comes from the Middle East. Of course. That comes through there. Now Saudi Arabia's largest customer. Yeah. So they do not want a situation where the U.S. can actually just turn the taps off, mm -hmm. set up a blockade, and then all of a sudden China's in huge trouble. Absolutely. This so. area is incredibly important, and uh, China just wants to push the U.S. out. And we'll see how long it takes them to do it, or if they're even able to do it. Yeah. That's where we're, you know, China has an advantage right now with weaponry. You know, they haven't used it yet, because if they use it, obviously they're in a war. Mm -hmm. uh, and weaponry, I mean hypersonic missiles taking out aircraft carriers. Yes. But... Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that works itself. I, I want to pull on that thread for a minute. The hypersonic missiles that are capable of taking out aircraft carriers, as best that I understand, the United States does not have that technology right now. China does. You know, how much of an advantage is, is that? Obviously, it's of massive consequence. Were they to pull that trigger, you're immediately in a hot war with the world's superpower. But, you know, what kind of advantage is that from a weaponry standpoint, as far as we know right now, John? Uh, How much it, of a threat is it? I mean, it's a huge threat. I mean, basically, the U.S. has no defense against it. And what does that mean? So that means that, um, so as, as we're seeing in Ukraine, here's the best example. As we see in Ukraine, the Russians launch cruise missiles at Ukraine, right? Yep. Most of these are, are flying at around Mach 1, right? Mach 1. For, for the easiest way to, uh, so at the speed of sound or just below, somewhere yep. in that vicinity, right? Yeah. Well, these missiles can be shot down fairly easily, right? Mm -hmm. And routinely, they have been being shot down. Yeah. Right? There's all kind, I've seen all kinds of numbers in terms of the actual figures. Mm. We'll probably find out when the war is over what the real numbers are. Sure. But probably at least half of these missiles, the cruise missiles that are shot by Russia at Ukraine, are being shot down. So in the event of any sort of conflict where you have cruise missiles being shot at, say, aircraft carriers, well, they have the best sort of defenses that you can have. Mm -hmm. right? they have these, they also, aircraft carriers always sail in strike groups. So they have other vessels that, are, that have what's called Aegis system, yep. which is a very uh, high-tech, advanced um, missile defense system to a certain extent, also an attacking system. Yeah. So um, basically, if they launch cruise missiles, they're all going to get shot down in yep. an aircraft carrier. Yeah. The, the advantage of a hypersonic missile is they're flying at like Mach 5, Mach 6, like incredible speeds. I, I, if you just watch videos on the internet, the videos are incredible. In Ukraine, the Russians have, have used them a few times mm -hmm. of them flying overhead. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling how fast these things are. Yeah. So if they launch at an aircraft carrier, carriers have no defense. Nobody has a defense against hypersonic weapons. So if they decide to launch one in a carrier and they sink it, all of a sudden carriers are basically what battleships were in the Second World War, mm -hmm. right? Remember all these big, huge, you know, flagships that the you know, British had them, the Germans had them. And then all of a sudden, both sides realize, well, if you know, we have air power and we just pummel these ships from yeah, above, ducks. we sink them. And yeah. all of a sudden, the day of the huge battleship mm. was over, mm -hmm. right? So, so what happened? How, how does Russia have access to this technology? China has access to this technology. And the United States is seemingly sitting on their hands on that front. Look, there are, there are all kinds of reasons and factors that go into it. One is absolutely that the U.S. has been distracted the last 20 years in wars with, quite frankly, okay. uh, small little powers that mean 
you know, that are militarily mean nothing. Yeah. But there's been an awful lot of time and money poured into Afghanistan and Iraq. Sure. Right? Yeah. Fighting basically against small militants that are running around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Right? You're not fighting against great power competitors. Whereas China and Russia have been sitting back and watching what's going on, right? Mm. And realizing, they, they saw the first Gulf War in 1993 and realized that the U.S. had this huge technological advantage on them, yeah. right? And that they needed to catch up. Well, they've taken the last 25 years to figure out, look, we, we're never going to be able to match them in terms of building, you know, aircraft carriers or even potentially of, you know, they, the U.S. has this huge, you know, hundreds of bases all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. They can't compete with that. But what they can do is try to find weapons that will take out weapon systems that the Americans have that all of a sudden even the playing field yeah. or quite frankly shock the rest of the world to such degree that people start thinking, well, maybe the Chinese all are, you know, they are an alternative to the US-led global order. Sure. And that's what they've done with hypersonics. They just poured an enormous amount of, you know, engineering and research into them and came up with it. Now, the U.S. are trying to catch up, right? Yeah. But um, it could also be that the military-industrial complex in the United States, quite simply, uh, they only work on projects where they see potential for a lot of money, right? Mm. Now they see potential for a lot of money, but they did not when they were fighting Afghanistan and Iraq. Why come up with a hypersonic weapon? We're not going to use it against the Taliban, right? Yeah, 100%. So there's an incentive structure that's in the U.S. as it pertains to their military-industrial complex mm -hmm. that countries like China, Russia don't necessarily have. They, yeah. they have military-industrial complexes, but I think they probably have a firmer hold on what's going on in terms of the government telling these companies what to do. And in the U.S., it's, it's, you know, it might be the other way around, quite yeah. frankly. So. If, you're, if you're putting yourselves in President Xi's shoes right now, what's of higher utility? The threats of hypersonic missiles or the actual uh, implementation of hypersonics? Those are two different things, right? Actually using a hypersonic, you're saying? Yes, or just the threat that we have these and we could, and this deterrent is actually more beneficial to us than engaging in the hot war they would create. If you're China right now, as I said before, you don't want to fight. Yeah. Right? You want to win without fighting. Yeah. And I think okay. there's a general feeling from their standpoint that if they can just hold on and, be, you know, and not be dragged into a war, mm -hmm. that they're, you know, they have a really good chance of winning this thing. There's also an argument that says that their window is closing because they have their own demographic issues yeah. Right? Yeah. and economic issues. And that if they're going to take on the U.S., they need to do it really soon which means there has to be some sort of military strike. Mm. So, you know, which way he's going to choose? I mean, world peace hinges on this answer, right? Yeah. Um, I will say that given the total global situation that we're in right now, uh, it would not surprise me at all if China were to make a move now because okay. the window is exceptionally good over the next year to make a move given what we're seeing with the U.S., their economic problems, they have political turmoil domestically, this mm -hmm. election coming up in about a year, mm -hmm. and the situation in Ukraine is still not resolved, the U.S. is being pulled there. Yeah. I mean, there's continued, Wall Street Journal, just within the last couple of days here, just wrote another article, you know, lamenting the fact that the U.S. industrial base is not there to support even what the U.S. is trying to do now mm -hmm. in the Middle East and in, and in Ukraine. Yeah. So if you're China, you see a lot of reasons to potentially pull the trigger. But once you pull that trigger, you cannot take it back. That's the and thing. you're in it. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, people have to make, I mean, think back to Hitler in 1939, September the 1st, invading Poland, right? I mean, he pulled the trigger, decided to do it, 
And when he did it, it le literally led to his downfall six years later, mm -hmm. right? That was it. And Germany, ever since then, has been a shell of its former self, mm -hmm. militarily especially. Mm -hmm. Economically, yes, the U.S. built them back. But that was a decision that has reverberated for decades, mm -hmm. right? And China's somewhat in the same situation. If he pulls the trigger, yes, it could end up in a huge victory for him, and they end up running the world. But hmm. if they pull the trigger, you know, the escalation ladder, you know, how quickly does it go nuclear? Yeah. And if it goes nuclear, what does that mean? Mm. Right? And wars are very hard to predict. Very hard to predict. And war has a logic, all, all of its own. So. Yes. Now, is that the trigger point for you, John, that would define where we are now in World War III? Like, is that, is that the catalyst? How would you define World War, World War III, III relative to World War I? I mean, when we think about this, we think about, you know, tanks and guns and planes. We think about World War I, World War II. But what is World War III? And how would you define that? How would you define that? So the, the way that I would look at World War III is, is that a world war is when you have the same actors involved in multiple places all over the world in very serious conflicts. Okay. Right? Okay. So right now we have a conflict in Ukraine that even though the United States doesn't have officially uniformed, you know, service members fighting in that war, yeah. albeit they do have people on the ground there, sure. right? But they are most certainly arming Ukraine to the hilt, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And leading this charge fighting against Russia there. So there's a, a very, very serious war going on there. And it is serious. It's the biggest war in Europe since the end of the, of the Second World War. It is a serious war. So that's going on, and then we also have the situation in the Middle East mm -hmm. that any day could spiral out of control, right? If it remains just Hamas, Israel, and what the U.S. assets-wise have put around in the region, mm -hmm. and they hold off any, any, you know, Hezbollah chooses not to get involved, Iran decides to, you know, hold off, and even though Erdogan in Turkey is making a lot of threats, uh, I, I don't think he's going to do anything. But mm. let's just say that that holds. Um, well, then, you know, I don't think we're necessarily in a world war. However, if it doesn't hold and all of a sudden Iran comes in, Hezbollah comes in, maybe the Turks get involved, right. the U.S. has to intervene, yeah. right? Well, now you have a serious war there. So now you have in two geographic areas in the world where you have very big, serious conflicts going on. Mm -hmm. I think all you have to do is add one more conflict, <clears throat> most likely in the Asia-Pacific region somewhere. Okay. I mean, that's the definition of world war, right? You have wars involving the same players in all these different parts of the world. All mm. of a sudden, at that point, I, you, you'd have to say, okay, we're, we're definitely, this is World War III. Now, of mm. course, there's an argument that says we're already in it. Mm -hmm. And we've been in it for, you know, Pippa Malmgren says we've been in it for several years already, right? Yeah. And so, that argument factors in the, the term that she uses called a hot war in cold places, mm -hmm. which is less talked about, right? For the same reason that, that she mentions, you know, mainstream media will cover hot wars because if it bleeds, it leads. But a hot war in cold places is techno warfare. It's deep sea warfare. It's space warfare, believe it or not. So what can you share on, on these concepts, John? Like what's going on behind the scenes and what's been going on behind the scenes for a few years? Sure. So um, and I, I have to I have to give Peppa props here. Yeah. because she's, she's one of the first people to really uh, report on this publicly. Mm. But uh, there was a cable that was cut between Norway and one of their far northern stations. It's an internet cable that runs, it's a subsea cable. Mm -hmm. And this cable is essential to basically the satellites that are positioned around the world that are run by NATO. These satellites, you know, they basically are communicating with each other, right? But then they have to talk to base stations. Yes. And this base station on this, you know, far Arctic uh, area that Norway controls, 
right, would receive the satellite data, then the data goes through the, the line into Norway. This is arguably the most powerful internet cable in the world. Right. Would that be, yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So this was cut in 2020. In 2020. No one, no one knows who cut it, yeah. right? But all of a sudden it's cut. And the truth is, it did not really make the news. And th no. this is what makes it interesting, is these things have been happening and the general public isn't aware that this is happening. So the thing is, this was cut and all of a sudden, by cutting that, you basically cut out NATO's ability and the US ability to see what is happening. All the right? satellite images that we're right. getting from the Middle East, from Ukraine, that's where they come from. They're so dependent upon these satellites to fight warfare now, yeah. right? Which is why the Chinese you know, have employed all these anti-satellite weapons and, and even conducted a test a few years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Publicly to basically show, we can shoot down your satellites if we so choose, right? Yeah. So, so they mm -hmm. took out this cable, right? Well, now we know what happened with the Nord Stream uh, 2 pipelines, yeah. right? That were blown up. That no, um, we think we know. Yeah. We think we know. Yeah. You know, journalist Seymour Hersh has said the Americans did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's been right about a lot of things in his yeah. career. So let's just, and it, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you have to assume it probably was the US that did it. 100%. You could make an argument that Russia did it too, and actually a fairly compelling one. Okay. But I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. One day we'll find out. Yeah. So anyway, that was cut. Right? And then we had this situation just a couple of weeks ago where all of a sudden a Chinese flagship that had only docked in Russian ports chose to uh, drag its anchor along the bottom of the ocean right. and broke off another pipeline that was going from, I, I believe it was um, Estonia and one of the, one of the Nordic countries. Mm. So cutting off gas supplies yet again in yeah. Europe. Right? So these things are happening, right? all over the place, and it's not really getting a lot of publicity, but it's clear that they're, you know, the powers are starting to say, okay, look, if maybe we're not gonna go like, you know, directly head to head, but at least we can compete in these other areas and basically show you, if you wanna move up the escalation ladder, there's things we can do to you to hurt you, right? Yes. And because we are so heavily dependent on communications now, like our entire economy is globally, especially in the West, if you start cutting some of these internet cables, and yeah. People can't make phone calls, communicate, do their Zoom calls. Absolutely, you know all these things. Uh, let alone revenue that comes in. You know, even what you do on YouTube. Yep. You know, like it literally gets down to base levels. You re you recognize if you start cutting these cables and um, dissolving the ability of the West to to communicate. Yeah. From Russia's standpoint and from China's standpoint, all of a sudden you've really evened the playing field. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And I imagine in an event where that occurred at scale, and maybe I lost access to you. You know, and this happens occasionally where you know, you'll lose access to your bank for 48 hours, something like this. This happened to uh, Bell's Networks a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and Interact didn't work in right. at least Western Canada. Mm -hmm. You know, it probably was what it was. It was a technical mishap within the company. But if it wasn't, if it was something bigger, if there was a cable cuts, access was removed in some way, it would be in everybody's best interest, except mine. Right, so not tell me what happened, right? The right. United States government, the Canadian government is not going to acknowledge that they were outmaneuvered, right? Russia or China is not going to acknowledge that they participated in this, but it's still happening behind the scenes, which makes it incredibly difficult to report on and inevitably, therefore, something that most of us don't even pay attention to. But, you know, internet doesn't just come from the air, right? And power doesn't just come from the socket, right? Mm -hmm. These things all have important infrastructure that is all very, very vulnerable, as has been proven. So, you know, there's, and that notwithstanding, we haven't even touched on the whole concept of space war, which I think is so 
it's hard for people to wrap their minds around that space war is occurring right now. And, and to my understanding, some of the activities that have happened thus far would be like Russia blowing up their own satellites to fill certain orbits full of debris, making them inaccessible to Western craft. You know, do I have that kind of what, what's occurring up there as far as you're aware? Well, things like that are clearly happening. They are is, happening, yeah. Right? They so are happening. Yeah. They're definitely trying to deny. They've had to, they almost had to um, evacuate the ISS once or twice for right. that reason. Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, no, they, I mean, look, we're definitely in this, this period of huge competition between the major powers in yeah. the world and other competing powers that are, you know, India's trying to rise up, right? They just sent craft to the moon. Yep, um, that's right. Right, so... So all the powers are, are competing with one another, right? Trying to carve out their sphere of influence. Uh, the difference in terms of what we're seeing now and why this is so dangerous is, is that the, for the first time, right? At the end of the Cold War, the US was the global superpower, unchallenged, no one could stand in their way. They could do whatever they wanted, right? If you remember the Iraq war in 2003, I mean, the biggest protests in the world, millions of people in the streets, in cities all over the world, the US was like, we don't care. We're doing whatever we want because yep. no one could stop us, yeah. right? And the truth is no one could. Well, now it's a completely different ballgame, yes. right? Yeah. This is now all of a sudden the U.S. is being supremely challenged by China. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, is how far is that challenge going to go? How far will both sides push? And I think, um, see, this is, this is the, um, you know, there's, there's this general feeling, especially in the conservative uh, political world, right? over the last, I'd say, year and a half about mm -hmm. this war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. That the U.S. shouldn't have gotten involved there, shouldn't have pushed against Russia. We made this deal with Gorbachev, and we said that we would not move, you know, one inch, you mm -hmm. know, towards Russia when, yeah. at the end of the Cold War, Yeah. right? And uh, in a perfect world, right, yes, that's the way it should be. We made that deal, that's the, that's the way it would, should be. But in the real world, whenever there is a vacuum, someone wants to fill it. So either the Russians are yeah. going to fill that vacuum, right? Or we're going to fill that vacuum. Yeah. And the problem is, is that humans, as we are in our own personal relationships sometimes, in business or whatever, we compete with one another, right? Always. Well, well and we have conflicts with one, you know, I have conflict with my wife sometimes, right? Yeah. You know? Inevitably. Right. It's human nature. It's human nature, right? So multiply that up at a, at a state scale mm -hmm. and how they look at issues, yeah. right? Well, when all of a sudden, when there is a gap to be filled, someone wants to fill it. Power will fill it, yeah. right? So that's what's going on now, is, is that the U.S. is somewhat in retreat because, you know, demographically they have issues. They're exhausted. They, quite frankly, they've, they've been the top dog for a long time and not being challenged, mm -hmm. right? So they're, maybe they're a little rusty, right? Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. And quite frankly, they don't have the same generation that went through World War II that was kind of you know, still involved all Definitely the way up not. until the end of the Cold War that had that wisdom from what happened during those times, right? Yeah. All that wisdom and knowledge, it's gone. It's a now. different country. It's a different country, Yeah. right? So, and you have this competing power that's rising up that wants to do something about mm. it. Um, look, there, there's, there's a vacuum there. Someone's going to try to fill it. Yeah. And the issue is, who is going to back down on this? Right. Is the U.S. going to back down? Mm. I mean, historically, they never have, right? Sure. Is China going to back down, given everything that's going on, where mm. they especially see themselves as being aggrieved in this situation, mm -hmm. right? So that's why this is so dangerous and why this could spiral out of control very quickly. And it could spiral from these Ukraine, what's happening in the Middle East, something, you know, 
goes wrong in the South China Sea. Yeah. And the next thing you know, we're in it. That's the right? all in move right there, because as you're framing this, it's like everyone's at the table right now. Everybody's betting bigger than they were last year and bigger than they were last decade. No one's gone all in yet, mm -hmm. right? But there's a couple, a uh, couple moves each player could make to to complete that all-in move, and then it's a, right? it's a then it's a runaway train, and we have to see how this plays out. Now, the, if I were to think about the concept of World War III, I think about a war kind of on three fronts. We talked about the hot war. We talked about the hot war in cold places. You know that that concept as well. And the third would be insurgency warfare, which has become more and more important and more and more impactful, right? Because innovative insurgency warfare can be very destructive. And I mean, well, I guess if you think about it, the United States was founded on the back of an insurgency, right? right. The Patriots overthrew Absolutely. the loyalists, right. right? And so any hotspots globally right now or any threads within insurgency warfare, John, they're catching your attention. And like, this is a bit of a red flag. This is maybe a area to keep my fingers on right now. Uh, I think what we've seen in Ukraine with this drone warfare, with this cheap weaponry. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. I mean, this is something that uh, can be brought right down into your, you know, into your garage and you can come up with uh, all kinds of ways to run insurgency programs against whoever you want. Yeah. Right. Well, that's how you defeat so. billion dollar budgets, I guess. Right. Right. That's it right there. And we right. saw that when Hamas breached the uh, Iron Dome with you know, $6,000 paramotors and, right. and whatnot. Yeah. Right. I mean, look, I, I, if we're totally blunt here, the United States lost in Iraq and Afghanistan mm. because they had insurgencies they couldn't handle. Yes. Right? That's what happened. Mm. They lost, right? Insurgencies, the Taliban beat them. Yeah. That's what happened. So mm. uh, look, there's definitely, if you're going to subdue a country at a certain point, you have to break their will, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what you start getting into the psychological operations that happen in warfare. But if you look at what happened with World War II, how did Japan psychologically lose the war? The U.S. dropped two atom bombs on them, and they were like, "Yeah, whatever you want." They woke up and right? the city was gone. They were, yeah, yeah. they were, they were like, "Whatever you, we don't like it, mm. right?" But we're willing to bend the knee, right? Mm. And the same thing with Germany. They literally had to be pulverized into the ground to get them to submit, right? Yeah, that is literally what happened to Berlin. Right? It's a fine line there because when you think about the mindset of Londoners during the Blitz, that was Hitler's strategy. It's I'm going to bury you with. Right force day after day until you submit because you can't take this but the opposite occurred right the will got stronger as far as everything that i've read it actually strengthened the will of the english to keep fighting right and and so i mean nothing unites a country or a people like war or a common enemy mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you created there right um i mean i i will say about that in in world war ii with london in particular uh hitler ended the bombing campaign way too early right if you actually okay. look at that story, yeah. because he started to turn his focus to Russia, right? Right. They were going to pull out Operation Barbarossa. And, and So you think different ending had he made? Well, there's no for... question that the British were running out of everything, right? Yeah, they okay. were nearing the yeah. end. And if, I think if the Germans actually were aware of how close Britain was to capitulation, yeah. right? Okay. That And if they would have hung on for maybe another six months and continued to bomb mm. the daylights out of them, mm -hmm. we might have seen a different result there. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe the U.S. would have entered the war sooner. Who knows how what would have ha obviously happened there. Yeah. But um, the reality is, is that in warfare, unless you're I mean, by the time you're actually at each other's throats, you have to get the other side to submit. Right. Yes. And yeah. I, like, I, I'm sorry, but this is how human history has always worked. Yeah. And submission is brutal, typically. Mm -hmm. Right. It is. It so is. that's why if you open the door, right, 
to the Third World War, mm. you are entering hell. Right. True help. That's why I, you know, I hope that we have leaders that can come to the table and recognize this world is a lot better off than we've ever been. All of us are living better lives than we ever have. Mm -hmm. Of course, there are economic issues. People are suffering and hurting. There's issues, right? Mm -hmm. But these things can be dealt with and sorted out. And do we really need to go through a third world war, right? That would be my hope. Yeah. I, I'm not looking at the general scene. I, I'm not optimistic. But I get that would it. be my hope. I get it. One, one last question I have to ask you, because it's a big question mark in my mind. You know, there's probably some pretty advanced technology that we're not aware of behind the scenes that has been built, maybe by the United States. Maybe they don't have hypersonics. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But maybe they've got something else. And, you know, UFOs suddenly started making headlines a few years ago. Right now we call them UAPs, but it's the same thing. And these are craft that, as far as we can tell, are moving through the atmosphere in a way that defies the laws of physics, right? Speeds, agility, all indetectability, all of this. Um, do you have any thoughts on what we've seen thus far, who's behind it, and what that could be? Uh, my main thought is the U.S. government clearly has a uh, top-secret program okay. that's running these things. They're not yeah. aliens from outer space. It's some sort of yeah. U.S. program. Okay. My guess is that Russians might have them. Mm. The Chinese probably do have them as well. Mm. So, uh, but the U.S. clearly has a program. They've decided to kind of slow roll this thing out there. Yeah. Um, now, if we pull back a little bit, right? We, we said that maybe World War III, Peppa thinks it's already started. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we're on the verge or the threshold of it, or we're kind of already in it. Mm. Um, if you take a look at what happened with COVID, right? So COVID happened in 2020. To this day, we still don't have answers as to what the heck happened there. Yeah. Right? right we right. don't have answers. No one is telling. The Chinese aren't telling us. World Health Organization isn't telling us. And the United States isn't telling us. Yeah. Right? Which is similar to what's happened with that internet cable. Right? Did anyone tell us? No, of course. Yeah. No, one's, no one's told us. To this day, we don't know who cut it. Right? Mm. You can be sure the Americans know who cut it and the yeah. Russians know who cut it. Yeah. Right? So the thing is, we don't know what exactly happened there. But all we do know is that that happened, and then all of a sudden, you notice we start getting all these stories about UFOs out there, right? All of a sudden, Joe Rogan interviews the F-18 pilot, sees those Tic Tac UFOs. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. that's right? right, that's right. And we start seeing this slow rollout of this UFO story okay, that starts so you think coming that, out there. Okay, that timing's not a coincidence. I think the timing's not a coincidence. Uh -huh. That's my own perspective on it, right? Okay. And uh, I think I sent it to you the other day. There, there's this famous incident uh, just a few months ago where Putin's giving this speech, yeah. right, that was reported by all the Western media. Yeah. And it, it, it was almost a subtext in the speech in terms of how Western news agencies covered it, but they said that UFOs appeared, you know, around Putin as he was giving the speech. Very strange. So are those Russian UFOs? Are those American UFOs? What, what are those, right? Mm -hmm. What's going on there? So there's clearly these messages being communicated back and forth, right? And oftentimes, uh, intelligence agencies, countries use the news media to communicate messages to the other side. That's how you would interpret that. So, 100%. yeah, we see reports of because if you're in the seat of the United States military or the Chinese military and you see these credible stories of unidentifiable aircraft moving away ways that we don't really understand yet. And, you know, it's not you. Mm -hmm. Then you, you assume it's somebody else. You right. assume you know who it is. Right. 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 And so it's the threat. It's the claim that you don't know what this is. You don't know what it's capable of, mm -hmm. but you know that we have it. Right. Right. Mm. I mean, look, it, it, um, I, I, I sent you this, this uh, a little bit on this uh, uh, yesterday, a couple of days back, right? But 
a few a few years ago, I was moderating a geopolitical panel from Alden Economics mm -hmm. with the top geopolitical people in the world. Bremer, even Bremer was there, and George Friedman, and and uh, Pippa Malmgren, and her father, Harold Malmgren, yeah. who, who's a former U.S. ambassador, was an advisor to JFK, LBJ, Nixon, mm. Gerald Ford, uh, you know, as, as senior a person as you're going to get in the U.S. government. Yeah. And so Harold and I had gone for dinner a couple of nights before this panel, and he had told me the story. And then I, I said during the panel, I said, could you please share this story to our audience, right? And, and, the, and the thing is, it's still since then, I still have not seen the story really publicly put out there before. Mm. But the story was that in 2014, the US had a, a, a ship in the Black Sea with this Aegis system on it, which is this incredible weapon system, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden they see these two Russian planes that are flying and they, they have this huge something that they've, that they've attached, that they're hanging below the aircraft. Mm -hmm. And they both, they fly over this US ship in the Black Sea. And as they fly over, all of a sudden the Aegis system, so the weapon system of the battleship, of the, the, uh, the cruiser, turns off, mm -hmm. completely turns off. And not only just that, the engines turn off. Right. The ship is literally adrift yeah. in the Black Sea. Just like a big off. chunk of metal. Nothing works. Suddenly. Right, yeah. nothing works, right? So as, as the ambassador uh, told it, he said the ship, you know, eventually got turned back on again after a while, went back to the United States, the captain resigned and, you know, a huge portion of his crew resigned and they resigned because they realized clearly our enemies have a weapon system that can disable our ship and we're sitting ducks, right? There's nothing we can do about it, right? Yeah. So, uh, and it was something along the, it's called this kidney system, which you can, you can search it and, and find out more about okay. it. But I think that's a, that's a illustrative point that it's clear that all the major powers have these weapon systems that we don't fully understand. We don't recognize how they work, but they have them. And the mm -hmm. odd time they pull them out of their pocket and they show them for the other side to kind of catch a glimpse of, hey, this is what we can do, right? Yes. So, and I, I think in that case, that, that's exactly what was happening, right? Mm. Uh, we haven't heard any stories about that during this you know, current crisis in Ukraine, right? And there, mm. there's a lot of naval activity in the Black Sea. That's we, right. missed, we haven't heard about these stories. For all we know, they're happening and they're just not being reported on, right? But um, mm. this was 2014, it's 2023. Given, just take a look at what, what, what was your laptop like yeah, in 2014? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is it like now? You right. know? It weighed about, right. I don't know, six pounds, seven pounds in 2014. Yeah. And now it's you know, lighter than a pencil. So imagine what they're doing with this sort of technology. So it's clear that these super weapons are out there. All sides are kind of playing around with them. How they're inter going to interact in a war, I don't know. All I do know is that when the shooting really starts, as World War II proved, at the end of World War II, the Germans pulled out, you know, the Messerschmitt, the jets, right? Mm -hmm. The V-2 rockets. And, uh, and then all of a sudden the Americans pulled out the, the atomic bomb, right? So we get these super weapons right at the end of the war that are accelerated in, in research and development mm -hmm. because there's a national impetus that these have to be put out there. Yes. And my guess is that's what's going to happen with whatever the heck it is that's flying around, mm -hmm. right? They can call UAPs, UFOs, whatever they are. It's the same thing. It's something. It's a big question mark. Right. Yeah, a very right. powerful question mark, arguably. Right. Uh, okay, let's wrap up with one last question on the flip side. What, from your perspective, might prevent us from entering a literal World War III? Is, 
is there any negotiation, any agreements that you can see, John? Because thus far, I feel like this conversation has been super enlightening from my end. It's also pointed me in one direction. It's this trajectory is just going to continue. I mean, that's what trajectories do. We're on a trend line. We're moving further down that trend line. At the end of that trend line is World War III. That's how I feel in this moment. So am I missing something? Is there another side to this conversation that, that we haven't discussed yet, the diplomatic side? Hmm. Well, uh, let's, let me ask you a question. Do you see any diplomats on the global scene right now that remind you of Henry Kissinger in terms of their you know, expertise? No, I, I don't. You know, the leadership, the whole concept of leadership in today's age concerns me greatly. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, as, as you hinted at, you know, five or ten minutes ago, it all comes down to human nature at the end of the day. And we, we may put these government bodies on a pedestal and think of them as some blanket organization that, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's one or two individuals making decisions. Or it's a handful of individuals, but they're individuals looking out for their own best interest, mind you, right? I, I, don't, I don't want to sound too nihilist, but that's what it is. We're looking for the next good deal. We're looking, for, we're looking to take care of our family. We're looking to better our situation, you know? And, and that's, that's why the power void always gets filled, because there's somebody who wants to fill it, you know? Um, when I look globally right now, I don't see any inspiring leadership. And, uh, and especially in the West, I don't see strong leadership. Uh, it concerns me greatly. I think if you take a look at historically how the world has evolved, right? The reality is, is that every, every period of peace that we have is always preceded by war, right? Mm -hmm. War is what sets the table for the peace that follows. The peace slowly disintegrates over time, and then another war comes into effect, right? Yes, the the right. peace that we've had since the 1945, at least in the Western world, is because the United States, Great Britain, Canada, Australia, uh, you know, China, decided to, Russia, right? Mm -hmm. Decided to band together and defeat Japan and Germany, mm -hmm. right? That's, and Italy. But th that's essentially what happened, right? And that's what set the table for everything that's, that's come since. And now we have this new environment where there are new, ri you know, rising, you know, challengers, the same way that Germany was challenging, you know, Great Britain at the end of the 19th century and into the 20th century, mm -hmm. right? And think about it, Germany challenged Britain twice, right? World War I mm -hmm. and World War II, mm -hmm. right? It took two world wars to basically say, you know, Germany, you're not going to take the top mantle, right? Yeah. But the second war resulted in the end of the British Empire. That's what happened. That's right. Right? That's right. So I think we're, we're in a situation where the same thing is happening globally now, where, mm -hmm. you know, unless humans can come to terms with the fact we have these weapons that are so destructive, that we have to reach some sort of a, a mechanism of talking with, with each other, which the United Nations, that's why it was set up, right? If you listen to, to Harry Truman's speech right at the end of World War II when, when the Japanese surrendered, he, he gave this famous speech that you can, you can find it on YouTube. It's an incredible thing to listen to because it has a lot of, um, you know, it relates to our current age almost directly, right? It's basically, we've just gone through this awful period of time. We can never do this again. We have to set up a new era of peace and prosperity for the globe. Mm -hmm. And this United Nations, right, is, you know, what we're going to set up and try to create this mechanism for, you know, for talking. Yeah. Right. But as this, you know, the situation in Israel has proven, right, I mean, nobody's on the same page, right? You can have a situation where literally almost a huge chunk of the world is against Israel, right? But the U.S. and Israel are on the same page and Ukraine's on the same page with them. Right? Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, and here's the thing, is who's right? 
Sure. You know, I might say Israel's right because yeah. I'm from the West yeah. and I have this Western mindset and how I view the world. But if you're, you know, an Arab Muslim, you know, yeah. in, uh, in Istanbul, mm -hmm. well, you, you think the opposite, mm -hmm. right? Well, how do we, well, where do we find the middle? Yeah. 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 Historically, it's pretty tough to do it without some sort of conflict happening. And those diplomats like Kissinger, I mean, they, have, they come out and speak that way, we need this to end, we can't go through this again, but that's on the back of that horrific crisis and it's almost like that has to materialize for people to speak that way, right? We have to go through that trough to come out the other side mm -hmm. and say, this has to end somehow, right. some way. There's a really interesting museum in Las Vegas, which you would never think Las Vegas is a great place for museums, but. Uh, because Nevada was this huge place where the United States tested all their atomic weapons, right? So there's the, the, mm. the Atomic Testing Museum mm -hmm. um, that's there in, in Vegas. And when you go in, there's this video presentation that they show you first that's in this theater, right? And there was this line that one of the, one of the, uh, the scientists who's now passed away mentions in the film that was so profound. And basically what he said was, he said, because the U.S. stopped nuclear testing, like real nuclear testing decades ago, mm -hmm. right? And he said, what my fear is, is that we've done all of this testing with all of these nuclear weapons, right? And we've stopped testing. And the generation that was there in 1945 to see what happened when we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that generation is gone, right? Yes, right. And I'm the last generation that has a connection to that because it was my dad that was involved in World War II, but now I'm retiring and I was involved with the actual nuclear tests in Nevada, and I could see the destructive power of these weapons, but now I'm leaving the scene. Yeah. So this, you have this new generation that's assuming the mantle of power that has no connection yeah. to the devastating power of these weapons, mm. and that will be tempted to use them because they don't understand. And that's, right? yeah, simple as that, this why is, we fall into these cycles, the right. collective memory eventually evaporates and you're left with no real life experience of how bad things can get. I mean. You know, we say the most undervalued asset on Wall Street is a history book. It's the same everywhere, right? It's like, <laughs> it is, man. it is, very much so, very huh. much so. These problems are not new. They're not new. They're just a little more dramatic. Yeah. Okay, John, look, I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me today. I love the work that you're doing at Resource Wars. It's very important work, so I encourage everybody to, to check you out. Um, and this has been amazing. Thanks again for your time, and I want to do it again. Thank you. Anytime, Jay. All right, man. Appreciate your time. All right. Yeah. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.